Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I got something I want to talk about to you. Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. I'm Liam Armstrong. Today we'll be, we will be exploring one of the most concerning trends in political communication as the federal election approaches. Any keen follower of the media might have noticed a distinct spike in well-timed political takedowns of candidates across the political spectrum during recent state and federal elections. Indeed, the Greens blamed their catastrophic wipeout during the recent Victorian election on such tactics. The New South Wales election was similarly influenced by political smearing and background, in particular the takedown of Labor opposition leader Michael Daly by the Liberal Dirt Unit. Australia will go to the polls on May 18th, so tonight we'll be discussing just what this all means for modern political communication. Our first guest today is Michael Coziol, a political correspondent for The Age. Recently, he's been tailing Scott Morrison as the Prime Minister campaigns across Australia during the federal election. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Uh, So in the world of um, backgrounded political hits that play out in the media, the Liberal Dirt Unit, which is focused on backgrounding Labor candidates for the purposes of smearing them, has operated since at least the 90s. Uh, What has been the impact of this sort of approach to politics and how how it plays out in the media cycle? Well, look, absolutely both sides do it. Um, Labor has uh, a fantastic unit as well, um, they uh, they obviously operate more keenly uh, during an election campaign or just prior to an election campaign uh, when you've got a lot more uh, things to cover. So, you know, there are all sorts of candidates running in all sorts of seats and that provides wonderful fodder. You've got people at campaign headquarters going back through everyone's social media posts, looking at what they've posted, you know, five years ago, ten years ago. So that, uh, in the, you know, in an election it's much more... But these things uh, exist, you know, the entire time. Uh, you know, all three years of a parliament, you've got people operating in units, uh, people going through uh, travel claims, uh, you know, uh, people's financial disclosures that MPs have to make to the parliament. Uh, you know, every time new information comes out in any of those disclosure logs, you've got people going through looking for potential dirt. So... Uh, you know, these are, in a sense, well-oiled machines. And, and yes, of course, uh, during an election, they uh, ramp it up. It's interesting you say that Labor does it just as much because in the media they like to claim that they're innocent and they don't have this specialist dirt unit. But, yeah, I think um, seeing what they, like, did to the Greens in the Victorian election, that's perhaps not the case. Um, But, yeah, on that note, like, why I think recently in the past couple of years we've actually seen this sort of approach to politics ramp up and become increasingly common and stories are in the media a lot more regularly. Why do you think that's so? 
I think part of it is probably social media. So, you know, we're still in that kind of early stage of social media where, you know, it's, it's considered fair game to go back through someone's Facebook posts or Twitter posts uh, or whatever uh, to what they might have said years ago when they were a lot younger, when they weren't seeking political office, uh, and, and kind of dredge that up and use it to shame a candidate. Um, we're not quite at the stage yet, but I think we will eventually get to where, you know, everyone was young once and used social media and, you know, said things that maybe they wouldn't stand by five or ten years later. And I think that kind of uh, dirt story, I, I think the novelty of that will wear off and, and perhaps already has started to. Uh, but I think, you know, given that social media is a relatively new phenomenon, and it's this amazing resource where people can go back and look at all this archive stuff that someone said without, you know, when they didn't really think about the consequences of it. Um, I think that's still providing a lot of good fodder, and it's probably why, you know, I, look, I, and I don't know, I haven't looked at the data on this, or whether there are more kind of dirt unit stories out there, but it wouldn't surprise me when you've got that kind of uh, uh, minefield of social media for people to go and exploit. So it's creating like a generational gap, really, like in the media and politics. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, like the classic thing to do used to be to go through uh, uh, the university newspaper yeah. of a candidate that you were looking for dirt on and see what they wrote when they were, you know, a Trotskyist <laughs> in the Union or Melbourne yeah. Union, you know, when they were 19. Uh, now, of course, you just, you know, can go and look through their Twitter profile. And, and at the same time, the parties are getting better at, you know, vetting candidates and getting them to scrub their old data, lest it be discovered by the opposition. Yeah. So the smears um, on Mark Latham back in the 2004 election and more recently Michael Daly's New South Wales state election disaster um, are cited as like um, decisive factors in their respective losses, the fact that these backgrounded hits came out and really damaged their chances. Um, But to what extent do you agree like that such media smears are decisive in elections? Um, You might have to remind me of the details of the Latham one, um, because I don't have a good recollection of that. Um, but the daily, uh, the daily example is interesting. I mean, it's very difficult to know because, of course, you can never explore the counterfactual of what if that had never become a story. Uh, uh, and I'm reluctant to say or to assume that that uh, story about Michael Daly, uh, the New South Wales Labor leader, uh, you know, the video emerged of him saying, you know, it's little forum in the Blue Mountains that, you know, uh, increasingly, you know, basically your kids' jobs are being taken by skilled Asian migrants. That was what he was saying. Uh, I, I would just caution against assuming that that made a big difference to the result. Um, and, and I mainly say that because uh, I was always sceptical of how well Labor was going to perform at that election on a platform that essentially said we're not going to upgrade status. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot else to it, all right? They said, you know, schools and hospitals, not stadiums. But I, I was always sceptical of whether that was going to be an election-winning platform, not really something that you can rally hearts and minds behind. Mm. So I don't know whether uh, the agents are taking your jobs comment made a huge difference. Uh, you know, maybe it, it, it was certainly not a great week for Michael Dunaway because you also had the Christchurch student uh, which, you know, had some impact because, uh, you know, in it, perhaps in inner city seats where people did not like the fact that 
Labor was doing deals with the shooters and fishers. So you had a whole range of factors coming together that, you know, gave Labor a pretty bad final week. And maybe that did make the difference in some seats uh, like East Hills or whatever. But even then, you know, it wasn't really even particularly close. So um, I, I, I just think the bigger picture was that New South Wales Labor has a talent problem and uh, a kind of vision problem. So, more so than the problem that that, that yeah. story generated. So um, turning to the, like, federal election campaign, you've been tailing the Morrison campaign, like, but the Liberal, like a Liberal dirt operative, Peter Phelps, he recently told the Saturday paper that even a savage attack campaign on Shorten wouldn't cause him to lose the federal election. Uh, what do you think of that statement? Do you think these sort of backgrounded attacks are going to be a big feature of the federal election in the media? Uh, I think they will be a big feature against candidates. Uh, I don't think they'll be a big feature against sitting members. Yeah. Uh, and particularly sitting leaders. Because mm-hmm. um, let's remember that the coalition has had six years to attack Bill Shorten. Yeah. Um, it had a it had a royal commission into Bill Shorten essentially with the trade union uh, royal commission that Tony Abbott uh, initiated, and that didn't turn up anything. So uh, they've had a red-hot go at, at knocking over Bill, uh, and they're still giving it a go because they, um, you know, they're, they're, they're running around saying that he's a liar and he can't be trusted, and, you know, occasionally you hear Malcolm Turnbull's old line about, you know, no one's ever tucked their knees under more billionaires' tables than Bill Shorten. So, you know, they're doing their best to portray him as this untrustworthy guy, and, and, and that's with good reason because, you know, they've got... Uh, heaps of polling data showing that Australians don't particularly like Bill Thornton and don't particularly trust him. But uh, they've demonstrated over six years that they are willing to vote for him and they are willing to vote for a party that's led by him. So I just don't know what else uh, the coalition can really go to to gain any new ground on that front. Given that they've been at it for six years, I think they've probably got as much out of that line of attack as they're going to get. Um, the final question I sort of want to explore, like how like media political economy shapes this sort of stuff. So we've had like some liberal sources argue Canberra's press gallery is more conservative than Sydney's media and less inclined to run dirt. Um, you've obviously been a member of Canberra's press gallery. Do you agree? And also on the other side, um, Labor and other progressives tend to say this is all due to the willing um, collaboration of News Corp. So what do you think? Like, what is actually, like, shaping how these stories are coming out and how they're evolving? Mm, I think it's pretty hard to generalise in that regard. I mean, I have never been in the New South Wales Press Gallery. I know what's said about the New South Wales Parliament is that, you know, it kind of plays a bit fast and loose. Uh, You know, it's often called the bear pit um, because of the way that people attack each other on the floor. I would guess that a bit of that culture spills over into the way things are covered. We saw a, some, you know, a, a bit of a hint of that in uh, the scandal about the former New South Wales Labor leader Luke Foley, um, who, of course, uh, uh, harassed a journalist at a function. Uh, now, I, I think you could, you know, draw different inferences from that. Firstly, uh, you know, people. She didn't want that to become public, and it didn't become public um, uh, until, in fact, 
the Liberal opposition raised it in Parliament. Um, sorry, the Liberal government raised it in Parliament. Uh, so, uh, in a sense, people respected her wishes in that way, although it was hinted at in some stories by one particular journalist. So, uh, you know, the comparisons often made to, for example, the Barnaby Joyce scandal in Canberra, uh, and sometimes journalists in the press gallery are criticised for having apparently sat on that story uh, and not reported it through the New England by-election, which is, of course, untrue, uh, because, you know, I, I was there, plenty of us heard these rumours, but they were at that point only rumours, and no one was able to stack it up until the Daily Telegraph finally proved it. So I think, uh, in most cases, journalists uh, are quite happy to run dirt-based hmm. stories, providing there's some substance to them, um, you know, providing they raise legitimate questions about a person's capacity to conduct themselves well in public life, um, and providing, of course, and this is the cardinal rule of journalism, that the journalists can independently stack up the story. Um, and, you know, a good dirt unit will be able to provide very compelling evidence for the story mm. rather than just coughing up, uh, you know, circumstantial evidence or, evidence or, or things that, you know, look a bit dodgy. Um, but may or may not be. Uh, so I don't know if that actually answers the yeah, question, no. but I think that hopefully gives some insight awesome. into the, the forces that are yeah. at play. Michael, thank you so much. I re- we really appreciate it. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Care for each other and cherish each day. That was Michael Koziel, a political correspondent for The Age, discussing the recent trends in political media of candidate backgrounding and smearings breaking during elections. Our next guest is Tom Rowie, a union organiser, convener of the Asheville Greens and recent candidate for the New South Wales seat of Summerhill in the recent state election. Tom, like many other Greens candidates who stand across the country, was smeared in the media as part of a backgrounded um, hit. So thanks for speaking to us today, Tom. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, of course. Um, So our first question is, um, previously, background hits on candidates that play out in the media um, were mostly done by the Liberal Party, who had a dedicated dirt-collecting team to do so, um, to the Labor Party. However, recently, the Greens have become the most popular target of such efforts. Why do you believe this is the case? Well... The Greens are a big threat to both of the major parties, I think, um, particularly in, in the, some of these inner-city seats like Melbourne uh, and some progressive regional areas like the north coast of New South Wales. And a good way for the major parties, and I think against the Greens, it's usually Labor doing this, good way to really discredit the Greens is to get their friends in um, the Murdoch media who really don't like the Greens, um, run hit piece after hit piece. It doesn't matter if it's credible or not, but it can really do a lot of damage to these campaigns. Um, so, yeah, as you were just saying, primarily like such coordinated attacks are usually and unsurprisingly carried out by the Murdoch press. Um, what impact do you think such attacks have, if you could expand on that? And are there other outlets who follow their lead? Yeah, I don't think that it's um, that effective. Like, the impact that it has is certainly pretty draining if you're a victim of it, as I was, and I know a lot of um, Greens in the Victorian state election were. 
um, it, it's very demoralising. But um, I think most voters don't really pay attention to that sort of insider baseball or sort of stuff. They care about how are they going to pay their bills, how are they going to deal with climate change, like actual political issues rather than um, this sort of stuff. Um, and it, it starts mostly with, with Murdoch. Uh, certainly in my case, it was um, The Telegraph and uh, The Australian. Telegraph, I suppose, doesn't exist down in Melbourne. But um, uh, they started the stories, but also The Daily Mail, um, which I'm not sure if that's actually owned by Murdoch, but it, it's, it's a fairly right-wing um, uh, non-newspaper. They just write either really quick, trashy articles uh, online, or they are actually notorious for making things up or uh, plagiarism. So not the highest quality outlets, but it sometimes gets picked up by others like Fairfax. Yeah. Uh, you touched on it earlier, um, but our next question was going to be um, maybe you could expand on um, what the, like, the experience of being a victim of like, such backgrounded attacks. Because, like, for example, yes, as you touched on, the Herald Sun ran a piece on a green staffer who said that it ruined their career and their life. So what do you yeah. think is the personal or political impact of being a target of these attacks in the media? Yeah, so I, I know that... Um of the green stuff that you're talking about, and I think it really did have a pretty terrible impact on him. I'm fine now, but, you know, there was a period, there was a week when there were three separate stories, so different topics that were repeated by different outlets um, about me, and it resulted in, you know, all these trolls on Twitter, Facebook, issuing threats, um, sometimes death threats, rape threats is particularly common for some reason amongst these people um, or just sharing you know things that are either false or misleading um, about me online and it's going to have an ongoing impact because mm. if you google my name now well not going to hire me yeah um, so it's 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 pretty upsetting it, it's a, it's the sort of thing that I don't think affects voters so much but it's going to stop people particularly young people from ever getting involved in politics if this is the cost yeah, it is pretty terrible, and you keep getting ahead of me because um, the yeah the next um, so yeah a, a Greens candidate um, which you just touched on stepped down after comments she made about shoplifting in Facebook groups were uncovered, um, and she actually argued in the Guardian that this media trend is locking young people out of politics and running for office. Like, what are your thoughts on that, and can you expand on why people like think that way? Yeah, I think that's true. You know, if, if you're an older, um, like a baby boomer generation, uh, you probably didn't grow up on social media. Um, so if you said stupid things or, or things that are slightly controversial, they weren't recorded for posterity. But for anyone um, growing up from the 90s onwards, um, we've grown up in the public eye. Um, you know, you can find old MySpace uh, pages mm. of, of young candidates things on Facebook from 10 years ago and before anyone ever thought that they were going to be a candidate. So you're either going to get people that from, you know, a very young age were planning on becoming the Prime Minister and have led the most dull, um, boring <laughs> yeah. political life or people that are older. Um, and it, it, it happens in discussions internally in political parties. It seems that millennials are risky to run as candidates. Yeah. because of this factor. 
Yeah, no, um, that's actually yeah what inspired me to like make the show about this. Um, so how has this trend influenced the approach of the Greens to candidate selection and media strategy? How are parties having to respond to this new reality? Well, the, in New South Wales, the candidate selection is still very democratic for the Greens. You know, um, at a local level, all of the... Um, Members in the area get a vote on who is pre-selected. If it's for a state um, upper house seat or senate, then everyone in the state gets to vote. That's a good process, but it certainly would be weighing on people's minds when they are choosing who to vote for in these pre-selections or whether you would want to stand in the first place. I know I've spoken to plenty of people who, after seeing the Victorian experience, didn't want to run in the state election yeah. uh, for the Greens. Uh, so they self-selected out. Yeah. Um, in terms of responding to it, there's different ways. You know, uh, you can apologise, deny, um, you can it, treat it seriously. Um, I I think that we're starting to learn that that's not the way to do it. Um, unless, you know, there's something very serious, like um, somebody was involved in an assault or something, in which yeah. case, yeah, get rid of them. But if it's, they said something slightly off-colour or, um, you know, held views previously that they no longer do um, or something like that, then I, I think um, the response increasingly is to just laugh it off. I hope that that's what we do more often because if you stop giving them ammunition, they'll stop writing these stories. They're only doing it to, to get a rise out of, out of the Greens. So how how concerned should we be, like, considering, for example, that a lot of commentators say the um, revelations about Michael Daly were crucial to Labor's loss, these sort of attacks were a reason the Greens got wiped out in Victoria, or do you think, like, the the impact is overstated and there's actually other things that are more decisive in an election? Well... I think um, in New South Wales with Michael Daly, there were problems with the Labor campaign already, but Mm. that certainly did hurt him when uh, the video uh, came out of him uh, complaining about Asian immigrants. Um, But that was something that was filmed last year when he was a shadow minister. Um, So, you know, I think people understood that that was something that he needed to actually take responsibility for. It probably did reflect a nasty aspect of Labor's politics. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if a story comes out, you know, um, like about Joanna in in Victoria, that she made some comments about shoplifting, I think most people probably see a a teenager or or 20-something talking in a private Facebook group about um, stealing from a gigantic corporation to feed yourself. Uh, is not that bad. It's not something that she said when she was a sitting politician or, or on the campaign trail or something she said ages ago. So I think voters can make the distinction. There were problems with the Greens campaign down in Victoria that did mean there were a loss of seats, but I, I don't put most of the result down to this yep. sort of smear campaign. Yeah. Awesome. Well, the last question is, like, how should progressives in politics and the media, like, counter this concerning trend? I think we just need to be open. You know, when when the stuff started happening, they were finding old tweets of mine, you know, jokes I'd made, which were probably quite ill-advised, you know, (laughs) from five or six years ago. Um, My response was, oh, I should have 
deleted everything earlier. I should have done this. But, you know, everyone's going to have that stuff. I think yeah. we just need to bite the bullet and say, look, people shouldn't be cancelled or whatever the current jargon is <laughs> because of just literally anything they've done. There is a line, obviously, um, but we've been making mountains out of molehills over things that don't cross that line. And we need to have a bit of discipline. We need to make sure we don't disendorse candidates because they made jokes or um, ask staffers to stand aside because of, um, you know, ironic Twitter humour. Um, we need to have some self-discipline for when those attacks come, not to give in to the boys. Yeah. Do you think um, it like cancel culture is playing a role in all of this? Or do you think it's more like right-wingers adopting that sort of language? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's it's the latter. It's, it's a cynical right-wing um, appropriation of what is otherwise, you know, a, a well-intentioned social justice movement to hold people to account for their actions. But they're not holding people to account for, you know, um, it's not like me too. It's, it's actually just finding minor uh, things, blowing them out of proportion or, in fact, deliberately misunderstanding them, uh, you know, jokes that are said, uh, like, ironically, uh, clearly sarcastically on Twitter are taken at face value, and that's a bad faith reading that um, the Murdoch press does. So I think they're weaponizing cancel culture, as you call it, uh, rather than actually engaging in it. So I have issues with that yeah. cancel culture thing, but I don't think this is a genuine manifestation of it. I think it's a um, hijacking. Tom, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. That was Tom Rowie of the New South Wales Greens discussing the trend of backgrounded smears playing out in the media currently. That's all from Communication Mixdown this week. Thanks again to our special guests, Michael Coziol and Tom Rowie.